This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. The Holy Gospel according to Luke 3, Luke 3, 7 to 14 and verse 18. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down. And thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then should we do? In reply, he said to them, Whoever has two coats must share with anyone who has none, and whoever has food must do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized, and they asked him, Teacher, what should we do? He said to them, Collect no more than the amount prescribed to you. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what should we do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. So with many other exhortations, he proclaimed the good news to the people. With the word of God in scripture, with the word of God among us, with the word of God within us. Thanks be to God. Well, life in the first century, as we've highlighted often here, was challenging. Things were uncertain, fear was in the air, and the future seemed somewhat grim. You could feel the presence of the Roman Empire in the sting of a soldier's whip, and you could feel encroaching hunger with every drop of a coin into the tax collector's purse, and the sense that even God had abandoned you was reflected in a priesthood that had grown corrupt and power hungry. And so the challenges that folks faced, uh, whether it was political, social, or economic, seemed vast and complex and could easily lead to one feeling sort of helpless. It's a state of affairs that I think we can relate to as we think about some of the challenges that we face in our world that similarly seem complex and vast, and it can lead us to a sense of fatalism or cynicism. And I'm wondering if there's something that creates that sense for you. Is there one thing that you know we need to do something about, but man, it just feels so uncertain as how to deal with it or how to solve it. Where to start? <laughs> Shout it out. What? what? Supreme Court. Oh, the Supreme Court. There you go. The pandemic. Pandemic. Sure. Yeah. Climate change. Climate change. Politics. Politics. Racism. Racism. Family conflict. Family conflict. Mm. The lions. 
If only that was our biggest problem, we'd all feel a lot better. We'd all feel a lot better. Thank you, David. We needed some levity there. Thank you. And, you know, thinking about all of these things, as I think folks like us tend to do, it can have sort of debilitating effects on us, right? Like, we feel it in our bodies, right? The stress, the anxiety, the worry. Maybe we don't sleep as well. And if you add to that, that we're feeling the weight of all these things in this time of continued isolation, right? Where we're still at some level more socially distant from each other than our whole entire lives have trained us to be up until these last two years, right? And we keep thinking maybe we're gonna bend a corner and then there's a new variant and case counts go up. And our state of all states has to be the one at the top of the list. For new cases and so some gatherings we've been going to do in person might be reverting to zoom we canceled our christmas party for tomorrow and we're just feeling all of those things we just named on top of feeling like we're not with each other in the midst of it and that is hard and so i'm not trying to make us feel sad here but it helps at least to be honest about the things that we're facing and, and where we are and how we're feeling. And also to remember as we look at our text that we're not the first people in history to experience challenges of such magnitude. And so back to the world of our text in the Gospel of Luke. John the Baptist, as we know, had a calling to go out into the wilderness to escape their dysfunctional society. And sometimes stepping outside of something can be a really good way to get a clearer look at the thing and it seems that john has tapped into something out there in the wilderness because folks are streaming out to see him to taste whatever he's experienced to hear his message to be washed in the waters of the jordan and yet as they go out there they're greeted with some harsh words you brood of vipers I don't think he ran that one by his marketing team first. John, how many times do we tell you that you can't insult people right out of the gate if you want them to keep you know, coming to hear you? But nevertheless, I found this part of the text a little perplexing because here we have people who have left their homes and their lives and traveled presumably some distance to see John and hear him, and yet they're greeted with this sort of language. Well, in digging uh, a little deeper, uh, it seems that there could be multiple understandings of this phrase, and there's a cultural anthropological insight that may help. And certainly the phrase brood of vipers can be an insult, as we see Jesus use that toward the Sadducees and the Pharisees, particularly in the Gospel of Matthew. But here we have a whole crowd addressed, a crowd that seems ready to heed a message of turning back to God, of changing their lives. And so one commentator notes that it's important that the multitudes are referred to as a brood of vipers and not just vipers. There was a folk belief that the way vipers are born uh, is that they have to, they're born in the belly of their mother, but have to sort of bite their way out and kill the mother in order to be born, tearing through her belly. 
And so John is perhaps asking these folks to tear through the culture, their culture and tradition of self-righteousness as they repent and are baptized. He tells them to, to bear worthy fruit and not to rely as they were accustomed to on their bloodlines. And of course, in reading any text like this, there's the audience in the historical moment that's being talked about. So the audience that's with John, as we're being told, but there's also the, the audience that's first reading this text, which is the audience that Luke is writing for. Remember, this is written past 70 AD, after 70 AD, so some decades after these events first happened, after the destruction of the temple. And he's writing primarily to a Hellenistic or Greek audience who it seems would have understood this folk belief about snakes. And so perhaps it is that many members of the Lucan community from their Gentile upbringing had their own tradition and cultures that they had to tear through in order to hear the message of Christ. They had to become, in essence, a brood of vipers tearing through the belly of the old serpent. Now, maybe that's just too much of a stretch, all right? I'll be honest. Maybe that's too much, but I found that interesting. Kind of helped me make a little sense of, of what was going on here. Um, and the invitation might be to us. What old beliefs are we invited to tear through? So I think that's a good question for us, whether or not we want to go down that road too far. In any case, I think what really connects for us today is this next part. The response of those who come to John and say, okay, well then what should we do? What should we do? And notice that John's response here isn't filled with some pious religious speak. It isn't instruction to pray harder or believe more or something that we might expect, right? It's practical down-to-earth instructions rooted in justice and equity. What should we do? Well, for starters, he says, if you've got two coats and you see someone over there who doesn't even have one, the math is not complicated. Give him one of yours. And the same goes for food. If you have more food than you need and you see someone over here who doesn't have enough, share some of what you have with them. And the tax collectors are like, well, what about us? What do we do? He says, don't collect more than you have to. Tax collectors were known to skim a little off the top, ask for more than they were required to do. That way they could pocket a little on top of their pay. He says, don't do that. And the soldiers say, well, what about us? He says, don't abuse your position of power and your privilege to extort money from people or to abuse people. He said, be content with what you have. Treat people well. It's simple, what John says practical, immediate. And that might be exactly what we need to hear when the things we are facing feel so overwhelming, when it feels like there's just too much wrong with the world and there's nothing we can do about it. John reminds us maybe just to start small and that we can all do something. We can all do something. In July of 2016 in Barnesville, Georgia, 19-year-old Fred Barley was living in a tent on the small campus of Gordon State College. 
and he was discovered there by a couple of police officers. And he was technically trespassing, so they asked him to come out with his arms raised. The officers learned that Fred Barley, who was black, had planned to camp there until the school semester started in three weeks. And all he had on him was two bags, a box of cereal, and a bicycle. And Barley told the officers that he borrowed his little brother's bike and rode for six hours over 50 miles with all his belongings so that he could attend college. School didn't start until August 5, and because he had no money, he had no option but to camp until the dorms opened. And it was a Saturday, and he had spent all that day, he told them, looking for a job. Well, normally, this is where we expect things to go sideways when we hear of an interaction like this, a person of color confronted by police, perhaps doing something illegal, perhaps not. And yet when he told the officers about all of this, instead of taking him down to the station, they took him to a motel. So he had a proper place to stay for the time being. And the wife of one of those officers posted Fred Barley's on a community Facebook page, and people were moved and started helping. In fact, the owner of the motel immediately offered a discount. Someone else offered to pay for it. The owner of a local pizzeria offered Fred a job. And Casey Blaney, who lived in town, heard about his story, had the chance to meet Fred Barley. And she said, geez, this kid just rode a little kid's bike, a 20-inch bike for over six hours in 100-degree weather. This is a kid who's determined. And so she started a GoFundMe page. And in just over a week, over 5,000 people donated. And they raised over $180,000 that they put into an educational fund so that all of Fred's tuition and school expenses could be covered. And he was majoring in biology and was planning to go to med school. And he says, I wasn't expecting any of this support and I'm in awe in how this community has come together to help me. I was just trying to go to school, find a job, and make it on my own. Now it seems as though I'm part of a new community and have a new family. We're so accustomed to feeling the weight of the times that we live in. We wonder if things will ever change for the better, and we, like those desert wanderers of old, ask, what can we do? What can we do? Well, it turns out we can do something. And when a whole lot of us do something, the world changes. And as the poet Percy Shelley said, the soul's joy lies in doing. Indeed. Amen. Amen. Maybe so.
You are invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.